Welcome to our service of worship of the First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. I am the Reverend Megan LeCluse, and along with our liturgist, Dr. Baron Mollis, our director of music, Anderson, and our other musicians, we welcome you to worship with us this morning and are glad that you have joined us. We have resumed opportunities for in-person worship. You can find out more about this on our website, where you can also register to attend if you will be joining us in person. You can find out lots of the details on our website about the protocols around our reopening and what in-person worship looks like, and we invite you to check that out for that information as well as any information on upcoming events in the life of our congregation. And now let us continue our service of worship. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord, the King of glory. Friends, if we say that we have no sin, the truth is not in us, and we deceive only ourselves. But God, who is merciful and just, has promised to cleanse us of all unrighteousness if we will earnestly confess our sins. So you are invited to do just that, first in unison, and then in silence, as we make more candid our confessions before our God who has made us, who knows us, and who loves us. Let us pray together. 
Why are we always willing to descend into the worst areas life offers to us, but reluctant to come into your presence, Holy One? Why can we stand on sin's shaky foundations, yet find it impossible to dance in your joy? Why are we so quick to trumpet our hollow achievements, but do not seem to be able to hear your whispers of hope for us? Forgive us, God of grace, and fill us with your mercy. May we set our hope in Jesus Christ, who came so that we might become your children, inheritors of love, peace, and faithfulness forever, and in whose name we pray. Amen. As far as the East is from the West, so far does God remove our unrighteousness from us. And so, beloved in Christ, believe the promise of the Gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Our first reading of Scripture today comes to us from the letter to the Ephesians, the first chapter, reading from the third verse to the fourteenth. Listen for the word of God today. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. He destined us for adoption as his children in Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and insight, he has made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure as he is set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Christ, we have also obtained an inheritance, having been destined according to the purposes of him who accomplishes all things according to his counsel and will, so that we, who were the first to set our hope on Christ, might live for the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in him, were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. This is the pledge of our inheritance toward redemption as God's own people, to the praise of his glory. Here ends the first reading. May God bless it to our hearing and our understanding. Our second reading this morning comes to us from the book of 2 Samuel, in the sixth chapter. David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. David and all the people with him set out and went from Baal Judah to bring up from there the Ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who is enthroned on the cherubim. They carried the Ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, who was on the hill, 
Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the Ark of God, and Ahio went in front of the Ark. David and all the house of Israel were dancing before the Lord with all their might, with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. So David went and brought up the Ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the Ark of God had gone six paces, he sacrificed an ox and a fatling. David danced before the Lord with all his might. David was girded with a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the Ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. As the Ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. They brought in the Ark of the Lord and set it in its place, inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and offerings of well-being before the Lord. When David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the offerings of well-being, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed food among all the people, the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, to each a cake of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins. Then all the people went back to their homes. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be acceptable, even pleasing in your sight, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. If we believe the stories of the Bible, then I guess we could say that humans have always been prone to shame, especially when it comes to our bodies and our behavior. That's where the story of Adam and Eve in the garden winds up going. Having eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they realize they are naked and feel ashamed. And God makes them clothing to hide their nakedness. Don't worry, this is not going to be a sermon in which I tell everyone to go expose themselves. But I do want to ponder the ways that shame keeps us from fully following God and more so keeps us from praising God with our whole bodies and our whole beings. I get it. I'm a lifelong Presbyterian who feels uncomfortable at conferences where people raise their hands while singing praise songs. And when it comes to dancing, well, in the words sung by Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers in the 1935 film, Roberta, I won't dance, merci beaucoup. But today's scripture tells us that David and all the house of Israel, 30,000 people, were dancing before the Lord with all their might, with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. What a dance party! What does this scripture have to teach us? And what keeps us from dancing before the Lord with all our might ourselves. First, I want to go back to the idea of shame. 
Brene Brown has a fantastic podcast on shame and accountability, where she defines and distinguishes shame and guilt, as well as humiliation and embarrassment. Her findings from years of research show that while guilt can be helpful and lead to change, shame does not. And this also means that shaming others is not helpful. Guilt, she says, is the response to an action that is wrong. Guilt is, I did something bad. It focuses on behavior. And guilt is okay because, even good, because behaviors can be wrong. And behaviors can be changed. In contrast to guilt, Brown's working definition of shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love, belonging, and connection. She elaborates, first, shame is the fear of disconnection. Given that we're physically, emotionally, cognitively, and for many of us spiritually, hardwired for connection, love, and belonging, and it's why we're here, it's what gives purpose and meaning to our lives. Think about how powerful shame is, because it's the fear of disconnection. It's the fear that we've done something or failed to do something. We haven't lived up to an ideal, or we haven't accomplished a goal that makes us worthy of connection. Shame is I'm not worthy or good enough for love, belonging, or connection. Shame is hard stuff. I feel sadness for Adam and Eve and so many of us, feeling indecent when we are just as God created us to be, made in God's image. Shame can be traumatic and shape our lives, often for the worse. It can be a tool of oppression, but it's also universal. We all have had and will have experiences where we fear not belonging, or not being part of the group, or not being good enough, maybe of even wondering if we deserve love. And this is not what God wants for us. God wants us to know that we are loved and claimed just as we are, for all that we are. We say a prayer of confession each week for things that we might feel guilty about. But the prayer of confession is never meant to make us feel shame. It is an opportunity to examine our behaviors, to see where we have wronged others, our world, or even ourselves. But we do this believing that we can grow and change those behaviors moving forward. And while confession acknowledges that God is God and we are human and we are prone to mistakes, it should never make us believe that we are unworthy of connection or being loved. In fact, that seems like one of the reasons that God wants to be reconciled throughout the Bible with God's people, so that though the world may batter them and may batter us, that we will know that we belong to God, who has cared for us our entire lives. 
Our Ephesians passage reminds us of this. This passage comes at the very beginning of this letter to the community at Ephesus. And what is the first thing that the author of this letter wants them to know? That they are chosen in love and adopted by God. They are acclaimed as beloved children without qualifiers. There's no only after you do this or once you change that, you'll be adopted. Being claimed by God is the foundation on which everything else will be built. And it tells us that this inheritance as children of God is so that we might live for the praise of Christ's glory, which brings us back to praising God, and also brings us back to facing what it might be that keeps us from praising God with our whole beings. At the celebration service, I get to watch young children worshiping God, and it's a beautiful thing. I know things like shame and guilt are huge topics. There are books written on them. Therapists will spend their careers talking about them. And there is not a way to talk about all the aspects of shame in a single sermon. It could take up multiple sermon series, probably. I know that it's talked about in parenting books, and while I don't know the exact age, it is that children lose the freedom to just be themselves with full body dancing to the music. I know that it's earlier than it should be. The fear of not being accepted or not being connected, that we don't measure up to some ideal or far off goal is too real. And it's probably only gotten worse in first the age of mass media and now the age of social media. Perhaps shame was driving some of David's behaviors too. The lectionary, the three-year cycles of scripture we typically read and preach from, is sometimes funny in how it chooses verses. And you may have noticed, if you were following along as I read, that it skips verses 6 through part of 12 in chapter 6 of 2 Samuel. If you read the section that is skipped, you will notice why they skip it. The oxen, oxen carrying the cart with the ark on it gets a little unsteady. The ark appears to be wobbling. Someone reaches out their hand to steady it, and for touching the ark, they're struck dead. That's a lot to deal with and maybe changes the nature of the sermon. But because of this, what happens, David becomes very afraid, and he won't bring the ark into the city. Verse 9 says, David was afraid of the Lord that day. He said, how can the ark of the Lord come into my care? David's question doesn't seem like fear of the Lord so much as doubt in himself and doubt on the call that God has placed on his life. David grew up as a shepherd, the youngest son of Jesse, seemingly an unlikely choice for the king of Israel. Now things have gotten real, and David seems to question his ability to do what God has called him to do. He seems to feel like he can't live up to some ideal. 
And truth be told, with all that we know about David and about ourselves, he can't live up to that unrealistic ideal. But he can trust that God has called him into this role and that God will be with him with all of his strengths and all the mistakes he will make. During this time of David's doubt, the ark resides for three months at the house of a man named Obed-Edom. And because Obed-Edom keeps the ark, God blesses him and his family. Once David sees this, he goes to get the ark and bring it into the city. And it is again brought with fanfare and dancing. And at the end of all of this, David knew that he was leading the people that he was the king of in praising God. You may have noticed that as they were bringing in the ark, we are told that his wife Michal's reaction, of his wife's reaction, it tells us that she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. When he goes home, she tries to shame him, to make him feel exposed by his dancing in front of God. In a way, in her words, the same as any vulgar fellow. David responds by saying that he was dancing before the Lord, who had chosen him to lead the people, and that the people he was leading in dancing and singing and praising God would see and know that this is what he was doing. There was a lot of baggage between David and Michal, but it seems like she felt in his behaving and dressing, we are told, not as a king, but like a priest leading people in worship. He was behaving in an undignified way. David's response to her is that he was dancing before the Lord, who had claimed him, dignified or undignified. This passage makes me think of a David Crowder song from nearly 20 years ago about this passage. A song called Undignified that goes, I will dance, I will sing, to be mad for my king. Nothing, Lord, is hindering this passion in my soul. So often, shame does hinder us. Again, I can't say everything that there is to say on shame, and I can't make it go away. I know it's not as simple as saying, know that you are God's beloved child. And if we hear that, we'll never question our unworthiness again, because we all know we will question again. We each have internal work we need to do. But what I can say is this. You are a child of God, claimed and loved as you are, for who you are, and you are worthy of being loved. And because God loves us so incredibly much, we should praise God with singing and instruments and as much full-body dancing as we can muster. Some of us may be ready to do that in the streets and in the sanctuary. And others of us may need to start off with that praising God through dance at home.
but I invite you to expand your praise of God to include more of you. The you who God created, claims, and loves. Amen. Now with the confidence of God's beloved, let us say together what it is that we believe. What do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Friends, freely God has given to us. So freely let us return to God our tithes and our offerings.
us unite our hearts and our minds once more as we go to God in prayer. Let us pray. Eternal God, Lord of the dance, your blessings flow forth freely and forever from the gracious mercy of your loving heart. We are grateful and we rejoice at the wonder of being adopted into an inheritance of such good providence. We know that we come once more in your name to be your people, and that we know as that as we do, you will claim us as always and make us your own. Enter our hearts and make them your dwelling place. Take our lives and direct our steps as your people called and chosen, beloved and useful, we meet to worship and to rejoice in you and trust in you. So hear us as we raise our voices on behalf of your people. Hear us as we pray for your world, for all the nations of the earth send peace among your people. Guide our leaders with wise counsel. Direct our ways that they may reflect your healing. Forgive us where we have allowed jealousy and the fear of being shortchanged or of not having enough to keep us from living as your people with a profoundly different vision of creation, a vision of you that is wide enough to know your love for all of humankind. Help us to live as though this is so. Hear us as we offer our prayers for the world nearby. For your children in harm's way, we pray safety. For your children who do not have homes, we pray our compassion and awareness. For victims of gun violence and all violence, for the ailments of our community, we ask your healing touch. Guide our ways and provoke response from us. Help us to live as though we know of our good fortune of being your beloved. Help us to put aside all competing messages that would distort the messages of your love for us, that we might indeed remember that we are claimed by you and respond in joyful dancing. Hear us as we pray for your church, for the Church Universal, for the Presbyterian Church, and for our beloved First Church. We pray again that your spirit would be poured out on us in surprising and new ways. Give us a vision of life as you intend it, life that reflects the new life we receive in Jesus Christ. Open our hearts and our minds to the work your spirit is doing and make us servants as we are church. Help us to know that we have a message that is vitally important for our common life together and for the community that we exist to serve and to offer your witness to. Help us to know, O oh God, how we might share the great good news that you love us with a depth of personal compassion and caring which has no ends, no limits, and no conditions. Help us to share this message and indeed even to live it so that our homes, our neighborhoods, and even our city might reflect your vision for creation. We make these and all of our prayers in the strong name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father, 
who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So go out into your week with singing and dancing, praising God for you are fearfully and wonderfully made, claimed and loved by God, every fiber of your being. 
And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you and abide with you this day and always. Amen.